the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There's going to be times we're just going to frankly mess up. We're not going to hear it right. We're not going to get it right. Or frankly, we might even be disobedient and not do it right. And God is sovereign enough that he will come along and he will use different things in our lives to get us on track with his will. His will was that the gospel go around the world. But these good God-loving people were playing it safe and they had it parked right in Jerusalem. And so God had to use a little persecution to stir them up and to move them out. Throughout history, we have seen the Lord use various circumstances to inspire and redirect His people. In today's message, Pastor Gary will teach listeners that God often does the same for us. We don't need to run from difficulty when the Lord may have a lesson He is trying to teach us. It is crucial that we remain in close communion with His Spirit so we can always obey His leadings. Is there something in your life that the Lord may be using to spark a change in your heart or direction for you? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 8 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. By the time we get here to chapter 8, the early church is about six years of age. It's only about six years old since Jesus has ascended to heaven, handed ministry off to the first 120 who were gathered in the upper room there in chapter 2. Now the church has multiplied. There have been many that have come to faith in Christ. Uh, The last couple of chapters tell us it left off at about 5,000 plus. So it is believed to be the church is now numbering somewhere around 10,000 or more. And we're going to lose track at this point as to the growth of the church. You know, today Christians number over 1 billion. But how many among those are really, you know, evangelical believers in Christ? Or are they just identifying themselves in surveys as non-Jewish or, you know, non-Muslim? So, you know, who knows what the real number of of uh, bona fide believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are. But here at this particular time, maybe around 10,000, the church only about six years of age. Stephen has now died, the first martyr of the early church, one of the first of the original deacons, by the way. And after Stephen's death, uh, there is this, uh, as a result of it, kind of this feeding frenzy. Uh, you know, the, the, those who are persecuting Stephen and kill him kind of taste blood, and now they're out to destroy all Christians. And among those who were out to destroy the Christians is this guy named Saul. Now, Saul is, is, uh, is going to, again, be interrupted by the Lord here, but he is uh, bent on destroying the church. 
and he's part of the persecution of the church. In fact, again, in verse 1, it says, on that day, a great persecution. On that day, meaning the death of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles, the, the, still the original 11, uh, are scattered. The original 11 remain in Jerusalem, but the, but the rest of the church scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, for, again, for you note takers, important to note that, that due to this great persecution, the church was scattered, it tells us right there, throughout Judea and Samaria. But by the way, this was all part of Jesus' original mandate for the early church. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, and I just quoted it for you there on the screen, Jesus says that you're going to be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, come on, you're a sharp crowd. How old did I say the church was here in chapter 8, roughly? Six years old. Good, you're paying attention. Thank you. So here's the deal. For the, last, for the first six years of the, of the early church, it was pretty much centered only in Jerusalem. For six years, it's just in Jerusalem. And what did Jesus say in chapter 1 before he ascended? I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Got that, check. And then in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it took persecution. Check this out. It took persecution to get them moving in the will of God. Can anybody relate to this? All right, so a little bullet point in case you haven't ever experienced this before, but sometimes it takes a crisis to get us out of our comfort zone and get us in step with God's will. It was God's will that the gospel should spread beyond the walls of Jerusalem, but they weren't doing it. For six years, they were just all isolated in Jerusalem, living out their faith. The church was growing, several thousand at this point. But the original mandate from Jesus was, I want the gospel kind of to go all around the world. And seeing as how you guys aren't moving, I'll move for you. And he uses persecution to scatter the church. So that being scattered, they then will spread the gospel, which is what Jesus wanted them to originally do. Hold your place there in chapter 8, but go over to chapter 11, a couple chapters over. We'll come back to chapter 8, but go to chapter 11, and look at verse 19. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen. All right, so that's what we're reading in chapter 8. That's why this is tied together. Those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see this? So you can go back to chapter 8. I just wanted to add that so you could see they weren't just scattering because they were afraid of persecution. That was the impetus to get them moving. But they actually, in the process of being scattered, started to spread the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And that was all part of God's will. Let me tell you something. If you you are wanting to be in step with the will of God, and at any point you decide you're just going to park it right where you are, guess what? (laughs) God is big enough and sovereign enough that he's going to get you moving whether you choose to do it or not. 
And that's how much he loves you. And that's how much he wants his best for you. And that's how much he wants you to be a part of fulfilling his will for your life. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, Pastor Gary, pray for God's will for me. You know, I, I, you know, I want to make sure I stay in step with God's will. And, and sometimes people get really afraid about if I miss God's will, it's going to be this fatalistic. If I, I might make a left turn and that's going to be this fatalistic doom and gloom thing. And let me just tell you something. You will make a few wrong left turns in life. There, it, that's just going to happen because we're human. And as best as we try to follow the will of God and, and try to understand what does God want. And so, Lord, I want to try to be obedient and do this and do that. There's going to be times we're just going to frankly mess up. We're not going to hear it right. We're not going to get it right. Or frankly, we might even be disobedient and not do it right. And God is sovereign enough that he will come along and he will use different things in our lives to get us on track with his will. His will was that the gospel go around the world. But these good God-loving people were playing it safe. And they had it parked right in Jerusalem. And so God had to use a little persecution to stir them up and to move them out. You know, so it works that way. Sometimes. You're living on the West Coast. You really feel like, you know, you've been in prayer and all of a sudden you and your spouse together feel like, you know what? God wants us to move to the East Coast. But, you know, I, I really feel like God wants us to move. I don't really know. I don't really know why. I don't really know what the job is, but I just feel like we're supposed to move to the, to the East Coast. No, I like, I like my job too much. Everything's going nice. We have a nice view of the ocean and Newport Beach. It's just wonderful. And I don't really want to move to the East Coast. And then all of a sudden, boom, you lose your job and some great opportunity opens up for you on the East Coast and God will use the job loss in order to move you because you were just sitting there not doing what he wanted you to do. That's just a tiny example. There's going to be many ways and many circumstances by which God will use and move to get us into his direction, into his path. So here's what's happening with the early church. They're getting persecuted, but some good things are coming out of it. Now, Saul, again in verse 3, Paul, began to destroy the church And going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. So I want you to see this. He's very zealous for God. I mean, he's he's a Jew. Again, probably part of the Jewish leadership of the Sanhedrin. He is zealous for honoring God. But how many of you know you can have good intentions and be completely wrong? And he had good intentions. As, as, As murderous as they ended up being... I mean, he thought he was doing a good thing for God because he truly believed that Christianity was a heretical sect of Judaism. He really believed that Jesus was not Messiah and that all these Jews who are following Jesus, because up until this point, the, the entire early church is still made up of Jews who believe in Jesus. We don't see Gentiles to chapter 10. Okay, but, but he really sincerely believes that the people who are following after Jesus, they've lost their minds. They're deceived. And, and they are traitors to the Jewish faith. One of the places when we go to Israel, one of the places I've gone for the last, well, do the math because I'm slow in math. Since 99, since my first trip when I took people to, to Israel. Thank you very much. 27 years. I appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, see, I'm not going to, look, my math is not any better than yours. And yours isn't any better than mine. All right, 17. I was going to say, I'm not going to Israel for 27 years. I'm only 30. But anyhow, but here's the thing. Let me dream. Just relax. But here's the thing. So one of the places that I go to every time we, I take a group to, to Jerusalem is um, uh, this wonderful little shop. 
Shorashim is the name of the shop in Old Town, Jerusalem. And there's two twin Orthodox Jewish men, brothers, who, who run the shop, own the shop, Dov and Moshe. And I love these guys. They, they, are, they are genuine people, but they're Orthodox Jews. And they know New Testament, and they know what Christians believe. And I always take folks into the Shorshim shop so that they can, you know, listen to an Orthodox Jewish perspective. And I always get, it's usually uh, Moshe, who will speak to the group. And one time, I, I pulled Moshe aside, and I said, Moshe, what is your, we have very good dialogue, he's known me for all these years, and, and I said to him, what, I'm just curious, what do you think about Jesus? I said, do you have a problem with Jesus? And he says, no, I just believe that Jesus was a good teacher, I believe he was a worker of miracles, I believe he was a prophet, I just don't believe he was the son of God. He says, I don't have a problem with Jesus. He said, my problem is with Paul. I said, why do you have a problem with Paul? He says, because he's a traitor to our people. He's a traitor to our people. He was educated in the ways of Gamaliel, which is what the Bible says here, and Paul's even his testimony is, and Gamaliel was seen as one of the wisest scholars, one of the wisest rabbis in, in Israel at the time. Paul was educated under Gamaliel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a man in leadership. He was a, a, a Jew of Jews. And Moshe said to me, and he betrayed our people. He didn't betray the Jewish people. He had a personal encounter with the Jewish Messiah. And that's chapter 9. So we'll get to him in a minute. But there's this other story in the rest of chapter 8. And it's related to Philip. We're going to be introduced here in verse 5 to Philip. And he is mentioned as one of the original seven deacons back in chapter 6 verse 5. Let let me read here, just keep reading chapter 8 verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Okay, again, that's part of the result of persecution. Verse 5, Philip, circle his name, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, Evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in that city. So a little breakdown about Philip so we know who he is and where we're going with all of this. Again, one of the original seven deacons mentioned in chapter 6. He is also called an evangelist in chapter 21, verse 8. We find out later that he lives in Caesarea by the sea. In chapter 21, it tells us that. And that he had four unmarried daughters who also had the gift of prophecy, it tells us. So he has these four daughters, aren't married, but they had the gift of prophecy, which I don't think I, I would want to date a girl who has the gift of prophecy. Do you know? So that could have been why men were scared of dating them. They were unmarried because they had the gift of prophecy. You show up at their, at their house I want to take you. I know where you want to take me. Really? Yes, I have the gift of prophecy. Oh, okay. And, you, and so, you know, and you have bad intentions. I know. I had the gift of prophecy. So I don't know that they would have been good girls to date for that reason. They would be looking, you know, right through you. And you feel like they know your mail and your every move. But anyway, but, but very righteous uh, ladies nonetheless. And then also it tells us here about Philip that he had the gift of miracles to cast out demons and to heal the sick. That's what we just read here, uh, that, that many people 
with shrieks, evil spirits came out of them. They were delivered from demons, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So this is, this is Philip. God is using him in a very wonderful, miraculous way. Verse 9 says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, whichever city this is in Samaria, and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Okay, so what happens here is Simon, the sorcerer, is going to get upstaged by Philip, the evangelist. Because here Simon is, and he's using his magical powers. Now, it tells us here that he practiced sorcery. And then verse 11 refers to him using magic. Uh, The word sorcery in the Greek is magos. It's where we get our English word magic. But I I don't want you to think this is David Copperfield, folks. All right? This is not sleight of hand here. Sorcery is a word that has the connotation of the demonic. So he has tapped into demonic powers, and so he is, he is amazing people by his powers, but don't think for a moment it's from the Lord, because it's not. He's a sorcerer. He is not a believer. He's going to become one here. Philip comes into town, and he preaches to the Samaritans, and he's going to be among those who get saved. But at this point, he's a guy that everybody looks to. Simon is this guy that everybody exclaims about him. He is the great power, capital G, capital P. And this guy doesn't dismiss it at all. He takes on all the glory here. Because that's what demons do. And so here he is, this demonic guy who is practicing using demonic powers. And, um, and, you know, he may or may not be possessed per se, but he at least has tapped into the occult. He's tapped into the demonic. And he's amazing people with his sorcery, with his magic. But Philip comes into town, preaches the good news about Christ. And it talks about how uh, people were, were saved They were baptized. This is water baptism, both men and women. And again, verse 13 says that Simon himself believed and was baptized. Now, this is going to get a little controversial as to whether or not he's saved, so just underline that because I'll come back to it. And he starts to follow Philip everywhere. I mean, you know, this is life-changing for him, and he begins to follow Philip wherever Philip goes. And then in verse 14, it tells us that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. By the way, this is going to be the last reference to John in the book of Acts. You know, we're not done with John because he's going to end up uh, being one of the oldest surviving of the 11, and he's going to end up being uh, inspired by the Lord to write the book of Revelation. We're not done with him, but nevertheless, this is the last time he's mentioned the book of Acts. Among the list of firsts, This is the first time that the gospel has gone outside of Jerusalem, and of all places, it's going to the Samaritans. You know, from if you've been here long enough, and if you've studied your Bible long enough, you know that there's long-standing hostility and animosity between Jews and Samaritans. They don't get along. There's prejudice. And here, this is the first group of people that God sends Philip to, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Samaritans now are going to become believers. But word gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem, Wait a minute, it's the Samaritans? 
The Samaritans have become believers. You ever had that reaction about somebody who worked in the cubicle next to you? Wait a minute, what? Job became a believer? What, really? And that's what happens here. The apostles hear about the Samaritans who get saved and they're a little taken aback. And so they send Peter and John. You guys better go investigate this. Because this is the first time it's anybody's gotten saved outside of Jerusalem. They send Peter and John. And look at verse 15. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been with us for our study of Acts, I have emphasized this, and here is a clear passage of Scripture which substantiates this, which is that when you get saved, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you receive God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because the Trinity doesn't get split up, all right? So when you receive Christ, you get the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But as we've looked at in, in weeks past... And I won't rehash all of it. You can go back and listen to the teaching library. But as we've talked about, there's evidence in Scripture that there is a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit when you get saved and the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the fullness and overflowing work of the Holy Spirit. And here's an example right here. Because the Samaritan people, it's pretty clear, it tells us back up in verse 12, that they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized. So I ask you, are they saved? Yes. yes, they are saved. They believed the message of Jesus Christ. They were water baptized. They are saved. But Peter and John get there and lay hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So the idea that a person sometimes thinks, when I got saved, I got all of the Holy Spirit, right? No, that isn't isn't necessarily true. When you get saved, you get the indwelling of the Spirit. But that overflowing, baptizing work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus even said in Acts chapter 1, wait in Jerusalem for the gift my Father promised, for John baptized with water, but I baptized with the Holy Spirit, okay? And he talks about how you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He says that to his own disciples, but he had breathed on them in John chapter 20 and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 1, he's saying, you wait in Jerusalem for the gift my Father promised. So there is a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the overflowing of the Spirit. And that overflowing work comes simply by faith, Luke 11, verses 11, 12, and 13, Jesus said, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So ask for that overflowing, baptizing work of God's Spirit, that powerful work of God in the life of a believer to overflowing. Peter and John get to Samaria, and here they are. Many believe they've even been water baptized. But it says that they prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon, there's that word, 
We talked about how the Holy Spirit is with you, leading you to Christ, in you when you get saved, and then upon you when that powerful baptizing work of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been water baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter and John placed their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. What you've heard today is just one message from series going through the book of Acts. Pastor Gary has provided some insightful information about the early church, and you can't help but be inspired by what you read about as the Christian church was birthed. Who are the people you admire and look to as examples of courage and faith? Is it Peter or maybe James being the first martyr? How about Stephen and the example he set? Or perhaps you're a fan of Aquila and Priscilla, a great model of a couple who followed after Jesus. Then there's the all-famous Apostle Paul, who paved the way for much missionary work to the nations. All of these people were striving to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we hope your heart is ignited to do the same. You can reach people too, near and far, in your neighborhood, online, and even those across the world. And if you feel the Lord leading you as he did Paul, you may even find yourself following the Lord to witness in another country. In the meantime, you're welcome to listen to more messages from this series in Acts. You can do so by going to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.